and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzber. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Jamal Hassan. And we'll be chatting about My Darling from the Lions by Rachel Long. We'll also be bringing you a poetry recording from one of our favourite poets. This month it's from Robert Garnham. But first, what have you been up to this month? Rebecca? Me? Um, a lot of sleeping. Has it, is it just me or has this been like the longest January in the history of January? <laughs> like I am, by the time you guys hear this, it will be February and I am so relieved and so delighted that mm-hmm. it's, it's February. And I never thought I'd hear myself say that because February is a shit month, but it's been a long January. What have I been up to? Um, I've been doing a lot of scribbling. I've been going to a lot of the uh, allographic uh uh, kind of writing write-ins that Faye Roberts runs and that's been really really nice so it's really good so so they used to do it in a um uh I think the student union bar in uh Cambridge yeah. um so you know you would turn up and sort of everybody would write together and so the virtual iteration of Allographic is literally just we're all on a zoom call and we chat for a bit and then we start writing and then people jump in and sort of you know if they want feedback they have a chat or you can go off in another room and just write but it's been quite nice it's that kind of accountability of oh other people are here i better get my head down and actually do something mm-hmm. so that's been quite productive um so i've started scribbling on something that um Ooh. i'm gonna gonna call a longer longer fictional piece because because okay. you know working up to actually admitting to writing a novel scares the shit out of me so i'm not there yet it's just a, a longer thing yeah. so cool. yes so that's what i've been up to um yeah. Oh, and this is this is the exciting news of this month, which will mean nothing to uh, the darling listeners or, or probably to you guys, but it will make the experience better. I have a new laptop. Yay! Yay! The darling's editing experience better. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. And yes, the crap top is dead. Long live the crap top. <laughs> new one. Oh, no, having the right tools for any job makes such a big difference. Yay. It does. Yes. And it's very pretty and it. It starts up without me. My old one, I would press the start button to power it up, and then I would go and make a cup of tea and a sandwich and come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was, this one just goes, boom, can I help you? What can I do for you? And it's wonderful. <laughs> nice, shiny, new, new, new laptop. Nice. Anyway, so how have your months been? Laurie, what have you been up to? Um, what have I been up to this month? So I have continued with my recent um, attempt to sort of do more reading about writing and about poetry Mm -hmm. um and i did that this month by reading uh kate tempest's new book on connection which i don't know if you guys have read yet we did hold your own a few podcasts back um but it's a new one it's a non-fiction um it's basically a long essay Mm -hmm. um about connection and that's quite interesting um it's talking more generally not just about poetry but obviously being a poet they have a lot to say about uh poetry in it and what it means to connect in a poetry performance um not just to perform it but to actually make a connection with the audience um which i think is interesting um so i enjoyed reading that it's also really short it's only about 120 pages um of very small small book so that was cool um 
I'm loving short, easy wins at the moment, actually. <laughs> I mean, like, quick books. I have achieved something. I've read a book. It's a good <laughs> January book. You could probably read it in a sitting. It's it's not a difficult book to read. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I'd recommend that, especially to anybody who enjoyed uh, Hold Your Own, if they read it after we reviewed it a couple of months ago. Mm. Um, also been doing a few of the exercises from Kate Clanchy's book, How to Grow Your Own Poem, which Rebecca, you gave me for my birthday a couple of months ago. Um, it's a really interesting book. I like how it gives a lot of examples of, mm. of sort of exercises that are easy to do yourself at home quite quickly and uh it gives you examples of of poems to work with and also examples of how other people have used the exercise so i found that really helpful actually i really liked that about Mm. it so you get to see kind of the output not just from the original poem but other kind of response poems for each one which i really love so that was that's been interesting to do um i tried a couple of other exercises before reading the book um but now having the book is helpful to get a little bit of a thing going with that so that's been fun also being like you rebecca starting to go to some workshops again i've started going back to words down uh Mm. which is on zoom now um which is a bit odd being on zoom but also it's it's adapted quite well i think so i've been enjoying doing that actually uh jamal our guest this month was there the other day as well. So that was cool. How did you find it? I'm always more comfortable being told what to write. Yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of just makes your brain work a little bit different, doesn't it? When you're given yeah. something to work, mm. respond to and work with. Mm-hmm. Because like when it comes to like creating a new poem, you're just there like, fuck, what do I want to write about? Do I want to write about the government? About my dick? Like, what, which one? Both. The perpetual choices. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's been good. Uh, doing some editing for other people, which has been fun. Yeah. yeah. I've also been listening to some spoken word records, um, which I've been enjoying. I listened to Hannah Silver's Talking a Bit, which is a very, I want to say weird record, but that that's not me putting it down. It is weird, but weird in a kind of cool way. It's got lots of vocal looping and uh, kind of syncopated rhythms and things. It's a really cool weird fun <laughs> record to listen to um that's worth checking out is innovative the word for something innovative that's is weird but good, good is that good a good way of putting it? it yeah yeah it was cool yeah. it's a really weird in a good way yeah 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 um that's out on humankind records and i also listened to priyanka morjani's uh from am to pm um Ooh. which was a cool little uh record it's it's digitally released it's self-released online if you just look up poet pm um that's where you can find that it's it's cool it kind of goes through uh poems for the morning poems for the daytime and then poems for the evening which is quite a nice way of setting out a little um little record so i enjoyed that Uh, i've also not checked it out but uh a lot of poets uh that i know have been putting out stuff as part of the living record festival which is Mm. kind of uh Leanne Moden, who we had on last month, uh, has been taking part in it. Um, it's kind of an opportunity for spoken word shows to move from the stage into more kind of audio experiences. So a lot of people are doing kind of soundtracks to their pieces or longer pieces to download and listen to um, sort of in your own time. 
and I'm I've not checked it out yet, but I'm really excited to when I get a chance. I know mm-hmm. Maria Ferguson, Carmina Masoliver, and Liam Moden have all been involved in it. So mm. that sounds cool when I get round to it. Ooh. Yeah, excellent. Hannah? Um, what have I been up to? Not attending as many things as I would like, but I feel like my brain is sort of emerging from whatever winter <laughs> hibernation it was in. Yeah. Also, I've had physical fatigue flare up. So like, yeah, I did the day job. I slept. It, 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 I feel like once in a while. <laughs> Uh, yeah. admitting where you are is a useful thing um, mm-hmm. what I have done is um, I, I host Insight the monthly LGBTQ plus um, mm-hmm. night which is open mic and a feature act and the last one we had in January we had Robert Garnham as the feature act and he brought the house down as anticipated um, <laughs> and also we had some absolutely awesome open micers like people who you would be delighted to have on the bill anytime anywhere um and then mm-hmm. in lockdown obviously people can come from further afield and still be <laughs> uh yeah so so i feel like in some ways that is becoming better and better and we're absolutely absolutely being spoilt with the lack of geography to worry about yeah um i attended not a spoken word night but a a fun cabaret thing uh called homos and hummus um <laughs> hosted by a drag queen with the name hanukkah lewinsky <laughs> which is wow. just awesome um and uh that was a lot of fun and i found myself actually afterwards sort of hello hello i have a jewish stage name and i i i i am also <laughs> ethnically jewish um hello i do i do performance can i can i please get on the next one um and just i'd forgotten how much i like mixed bills and i think given that I always get more nervous before being on a mixed bill because poetry is obviously, you know, it's more cerebral. A wanker sport. Right. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm always more nervous, but I've generally found that people are very receptive and nice and, and, and delighted to have something a bit more soulful. I don't know. Um, I think people can be quite prepared to not enjoy it or to kind of tolerate it. And then when when they actually enjoy it, they're like, oh, great. This is and, and become really welcoming. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you there's always it. that. This could go one of two ways. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's also, I think, in lockdown, like I think things like cabaret and comedy, I think, are by definition, perhaps more. More used to dicking about with format Mm. like more used to doing things on a shoelace and doing visual different things on a shoelace so I feel like for for this new I don't know I'm I'm still trying to work out how to get the absolute most out of my shit laptop uh, camera and stuff and I think that that's um I'm excited to start going to more cabaret things and seeing what what I can incorporate how much show I can put on in my room um Mm -hmm. Also, I, I finished writing a thing which I'd had on the boil for a little while, and I was finished delighted with thing. that. Finished Ooh. a thing. Ooh. Um, I, I wrote a poem about shit allies with a um, central metaphor of a toddler. Um, mm. Like you share your toys. Um, um, uh, written having discovered that there's such a thing as a straight allies flag, which like imagine turning oh, up no. to a march and wanting to point out that you're not one of them. <laughs> like oh. just just what is that what is oh. that about and 
Oh, and one other thing is... And another thing. Another thing. Um, there has been a, a a bit of a warning thread on this. There's a couple of like poetry promoters groups um, where people can, you know, give each other heads up and ask what the going rate is for X, Y, and Z, but also occasionally do a, um, <clears throat> this person's not great, avoid them. And we've had someone glorifying terrorism in their poems. Oh, yeah, I saw that. It was um, wild. Um, so I don't know how many details I want to go into, really, but, like... Let's just maybe... But, like... Give yeah, a general warning. <laughs> give, give a general warning and just... that just FYI, there is a poetry network of people who t- chat to each other to make sure that their nights run well. Mm-hmm. So... If you're a shithouse, a really public shithouse to someone, it will probably get around. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> and if you're yeah. a promoter, remember your duty of care. Mm. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's been my month. Mm. Jamal? Hello. Yeah, how's your month been? How has my month been? Uh, so it's actually, it started off pretty well because, um, I built myself a new desk so that I can basically start making music. Nice. Um, and on top of that, um, I've also just been, uh, just working on my, uh, I don't know, like, I guess I call it a verse novel. Yeah. Verse novel, I guess. Um, and... Um, other than that, I've just been trying to get through Marlon James's A Brief History of Seven Killings. Oh, yeah. Because that's because like, ah, nice. it's like really good. Because mm-hmm. like, it's going to be probably one of the biggest books I'll read for a while because it's like nearly 700 pages and I'm more of a three to 400 page man myself. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but like within only a few days of reading it, I'm already like at page 100 and i'm like okay this this is this is good shit this mm-hmm. is really good shit uh, um and yeah um i guess that's mostly it and that and just playing the occasional video game with friends uh yeah what are you playing quite chill among us mainly uh... just <laughs> ridiculous amounts of drunk among us <laughs> where we just start yelling at each other for no reason just so much Dirty laundry gets aired. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's like Jerry. It's like a shit episode of Jerry Springer, but like with British accents. <laughs> Isn't that just the Jeremy Kyle show? Yeah. Oh god, I forgot about the Jeremy Kyle show. <laughs> you know, it's just been away for so long, you forget that it exists, and then it's like, oh god, that was there. That was that was a thing. Um. So yeah, I've just been mainly making music on the whole because one thing I want to do when live events start back up again is to mm-hmm. bring some of my instruments and my amp and then just create some music on my loop pedal and then start and then like basically create a musical environment for people to like do their poetry over. Cool. Oh, that sounds nice. Fun. Yeah. Um, I also... I always keep forgetting that I did this. Yeah, I won. Um, I got invited onto a slam qualifier by Robin Lamble, um, and it was for uh-huh. superheroes of slam. And I won the um, UK heat. So hopefully, I'm going to be Ooh. going to Berlin for the Ooh. final. Ooh. 
in in May. Jamal is a real life superhero. That's amazing. Nice. Thank you. My superpowers disappointment and nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. Hmm. Um, So before we move on and do the interview, I think it's worth acknowledging that it has been a hell of a month in poetry. It has. Um, Mm -hmm. Both good and bad. Yes. So I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the death of Leon Priestnell, who Mm. is a poet uh, or was a poet based in Birmingham. And none of us knew him personally, but there's been uh, a a lot of outpouring of grief from and and, and beautiful tributes as well. um, Yeah. To a, a guy who was clearly a lovely bloke and a fantastic poet. So we just wanted to say, you know, guys, we're really sorry for your loss and, and, and the loss of the whole poetry community. Yeah, when something happens, particularly to somebody so young um, in the UK poetry community, even when you don't know them personally, it sucks to see our friends being upset. Um, and we're just sharing, you know, our thoughts are with everybody who's affected by that. It's, it's worth pointing out that uh, Leon was published by Verve Poetry Press. Uh, his collection, Bennett's Hill Blues, is available from them. And they are, for a limited time, I believe, giving away copies of it for free, um, just with, uh, I think it's £2 postage and packaging. Um, so if you're interested in that at all, um, visit verbpoetrypress.com and, uh, yeah, follow the links to find out about that. It's maybe also worth mentioning that the day of recording um, is uh, Dean McKee's birthday, uh, anybody who's listened to the podcast for a little while will know um, Dean was a well-loved poet on the London mm-hmm. spoken word circuit and uh, we're all thinking of him and his family as well at this time it's mm-hmm. a it's a weird time for all of us um, and it you know the situations that we're all facing at the moment as poets we come together to express how we're feeling and at the moment for a lot of people it's grief and we don't necessarily have the spaces to come together but I think it's worth yeah acknowledging that we are all carrying around a lot of grief at the moment Shall we talk about something a little bit chirpier? Yes, let's talk about poetry for celebration purposes Mm. Guess who's not embarrassed to have an American passport anymore Not as embarrassed (laughs) 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 Who is it? I, I mean, I, I spent most of my teens, you know, marching against the war when George Bush, George W was in power. And I didn't think any American president could be fucking worse than that. It's, I do feel lighter knowing that that shit's gone. Like, obviously, there is still so much broken and to fix. But I was, like, tearful watching bits of the inauguration anyway. And then, and then, yeah. they went and had a fucking awesome performance slam poet who was like is she 21 22 i believe 22. she's 22 like, yes. and and went right up to the minute with current events in the way that wouldn't does not surprise me from a slam poet but also it's been she was awesome and it's been so gorgeous watching media and everyone suddenly be like oh Poetry Have you heard about really poetry? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we've actually said her name yet. So uh, Amanda Gorman, um, and yeah, she was just fantastic. Blew everybody away. Uh, how many people have had uh, messages from like friends, parents, friends, being like, "Oh, have you seen this? This is like what you do, isn't it?" Yeah, <laughs> I haven't actually. Do they know to keep yeah, their mouths shut? I've had a few. 
No, uh, I think I think I've like badgered my friends and family enough that they know what we do <laughs> in poetry. <laughs> but um, I think for a lot of people, it won't be. You know, for a lot of people, mm. it will be. Oh my God, what was that? Yeah. You know, poetry on the front page of BBC News was quite nice. Mm-hmm. And then really a lot was. of UK poets got specific shout outs as well. Like, did you like this? Here's some more. Have you heard of the yeah. Kasule? Yes, we have, but other people haven't, and now they have. Um, yeah, mm. that's that's been really, really nice. And I think that will that is a seed that's been planted that will keep growing. Like people will check stuff out, mm. discover they like it, check some more things out, share some links on so. Facebook. Uh, yeah, I thought you know, I thought the poem was, and I mean this as a compliment, functional. <laughs> in that it was the right poem for the right moment. Yeah. I don't mean it as, mm. as a put down that it was functional. It was like, great, that's exactly what was needed. Yeah. And I think it needed to be a poem. <laughs> it needed to be a poem. It was immediate. And it was also quite kind of, there was a lack of pomposity to it. That she, you know, There's one point where she kind of references, oh, that a skinny black girl could come and stand here. That's not shit you're supposed to say at inauguration. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That, like, that's... The kind of the oh, the kind of puncturing of what was going on yeah. at the same time as bringing in these incredible ideas, like and presenting it beautifully, and it was just so perfect. Like I thought it was great. After the inauguration, I googled her pamphlet, Amanda Gorman, and uh, well, it had something like ten or fifteen reads on Goodreads, and I was thinking wow as a poet who's up there on an international stage and you look at the amount of people who've been reading her book now it's like number one on amazon lists both her poems are good both her books like number one and number two it went super quick but i good. think that's also worth like acknowledging maybe how absolutely fucking arbitrary the gods of you know it, someone might have a all-star goodreads thing and it's because they've managed to marshal all their friends and family to say they loved their mm-hmm. self-published thing full of you know spelling mistakes like it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> i think i think it's worth like remembering that damn good stuff can escape praise and that doesn't yeah. mean that it's bad it just means it didn't get the attention from like yeah i i think the right absolutely people. amanda yeah. gorman was a great poet before people started before she did the inauguration right people yeah. just hadn't hadn't heard about her on the same scale well it's interesting jamal mentioned marlon james earlier and i'm sure there is a story about him kind of having sent his book out to publishers and just never really getting anywhere with it mm. and kind of eventually and this is the story i've heard how true it is but deleting it in frustration deleting the file and then somebody emailed back saying actually could we see it Oh shit! Shit! So apparently he found it in the in his like his sent folder where he'd (laughs) sent it to somebody at some point. I was just like and like found this copy of it and and was able to redeem it. Obviously, it got published and became won the the Booker Prize. Mm -hmm. Like and has become this kind of global bestseller. Yeah. So like, don't do that. Don't don't delete your stuff, guys. Uh, Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Don't delete things. Shall we do an interview? Let's do an interview. This month's interview is with Jamal Hassan. Jamal Hassan is a writer and performance poet based in London who has been performing since 2016. He is the host of Extra Second London and is the co-host of Spoken Word London. His work blends humour, politics and storytelling and he describes himself as 
The poetic equivalent of finding out that the drinks machine in your local McDonald's has quietly replaced its Pepsi button with spiced rum. <laughs> he is confusing, frightening, delicious with ginger beer and lemon and unhealthy in large doses. Awesome. He recently appeared on Sky Art's Life and Rhymes show with Benjamin Woo. Zephaniah, which is awesome. Hi, yeah. Jamal. Hello. Formally welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good. Uh, would you be able to kick us off with a poem? Yes, I can. <clears throat> okay, so um, this poem is called... Okay, i just got to get all the giggles out. This poem is called Diary of a Lost Man, dated February 17th. It's been three days since my search began, and I'm afraid I might not find it. I've tripped over so many tree trunks, outstretched and spread wide below me like pairs of legs swung by stocky bullies in school corridors. The humid air of dense jungle, flowering bushes, rain and dewdrops pooling on petals like the hood of a raincoat. I'm trying to ignore the fungus on the forest floor leading up to the dirt road, a path tempted by sweet-smelling psilocybin where every step forward and every step back seem to be one and the same. I've lost every map I packed for my quest and I know I'm no closer. Every patch of grass, both unique and similar. How many times I've found myself back where I started, I cannot count. Retracing steps and I'm further away, circling myself and going nowhere fast. It's getting dark. My supplies are running dry. I'm too scared to resign my mind to the maybe of a reality that here, in this scape of unforgiving nature, whose bioluminescent microfauna light the billboard of my inadequacy against the powers of Mother Earth. Here is where I will spend the rest of my life. Here is where I die. Knowing what I had been searching for, I could never find. Where are you? Where are you, clitoris? Where <laughs> are you? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> even even after years of listening to your poetry, I was like, gosh, this is very serious for Jamal. This is quite yeah. very interesting. He's obviously gone off in a very different direction. Oh, wait, there we go. There we go. Every now and then, Jamal brings in a, a serious one. <laughs> yeah. Pulled a fast one on you there. So we'd like to start by asking you the question we ask all our guests, which is, how did you first get into the clitoris? <laughs> um so <laughs> i needed like three cartographers um ordnance survey was so helpful uh, <laughs> but um <laughs> but no, i um i got into poetry um surprisingly um um it was just trying to procrastinate and avoid doing real work so mm -hmm. i was doing my a levels and I had to like do a bunch of like um, aptitude test prep for unis and I, I was just really bored of it. So I was just messing around on either YouTube or Vimeo and I saw this like mockumentary about 
a bunch of men who were really like upset about Fifty Shades of Grey because their girlfriends were like neglecting them to read Fifty Shades of Grey and masturbate. And I thought that that was just such a funny concept for a mockumentary <laughs> that I just started <laughs> writing a poem about it just that evening. Uh-huh. And and it was just about that where it was like just a really serious poem about a breakup. And the last line was, damn you, Fifty Shades of Grey. And then it was like, oh, that's what it's actually about. And then I started uh-huh. um, just sh- showing that to some friends in school. And they were like, this is fucking hilarious. And then after like two, three years of them like pushing me, I eventually went to an open mic and I never looked back. Your, your work, it seems to me, often plays with the absurd, like taking ideas to extremes or to darkly funny places. Like earlier you were saying, well, I don't know what to write. I'm trying to decide whether to write about my cock or the prime minister. <laughs> like, that actually feels like a very accurate description <laughs> of your work. Yeah. Not necessarily Johnson yeah. in either case. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, good night. <laughs> But yeah, like that, I think like if I were to describe your work to a friend probably quite quickly, I'll be like, yeah, it'd probably either be about politics or his dick. Like, um, <laughs> Both. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, why why is that kind of, that, that sort of playing with why, why is that? What, is, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Well, I was going to say, why is that something that interests you? Who hurt you? Just... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, ultimately... Um, my motivation for it comes from, um, like, on a, like, an actual, like, serious philosophical level is that, um, and I think you even touched upon it, um, earlier when talking about the, um, long essay by Kay Tempest, and it's about, like, Mm. connecting with one's audience, and I always feel closer to the audience I perform around when I can make them laugh, Mm -hmm. and... Because I started poetry writing about funny things, writing the Fifty Shades poem, it's just felt mm-hmm. like the natural progression where even with like a lot of the poems I write, unless it's like something which in which I'm like genuinely like in pain and I need to write about it so that it can just so that I can just exercise it from my from my body. Um, mm. Other than that, I do see it as writing for my audience and writing something that's entertaining um mm-hmm. and yeah i just see writing things that are funny as like i do it so that i can be entertaining and also because it's it's what i'm used to but on and i guess in a, a way on top of that as well is that i um i i like the darkly funny and weird absurdity of it because that that is basically just my sense of humor. I I have a really weird sense of humor. <laughs> and how does that kind of work alongside your sort of more political themes? You know, you've definitely done pieces about kind of um, sort of fragile masculinity and about anti-racism and that sort of thing. I'd say it kind of works a bit. I can, okay, I'm, the best way I can describe it is using like food as a metaphor, but it's kind of like putting like fruit in brie like people often think like why the fuck are you putting a like a cherry in some cheese and it's like no 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 mate taste it and it will actually like they (laughs) they work together in a way like the absurd humor and the absurdness the absurdity of it all is able to point out something within the serious topic and it 
it makes people want to listen to it more because I mean I could tell people very sober and chilling and depressing facts about race about fragile masculinity about war but the thing is not only do we already know that but if you are being inundated with sober facts like you just you just feel a bit dead inside and we're already a little dead inside I don't want to make people like now medium dead inside so <laughs> I I make it funny so people can be like okay I laughed I was entertained but also that did make me think and mm. going back to the whole thing about entertainment <clears throat> is that I see entertainment not just making people laugh but if you can change someone's mood for the better and um, if they're able to enjoy the fa- just enjoy how you changed it so the more different emotions i can elicit from a person the better and comedy mm. is just one of those things that just it always works you know it's, it's like nutmeg you can just put it in, in everything <laughs> it is but it's not an easy thing necessarily to do like there's oh, yeah. definitely a stagecraft to it and a storytelling aspect to it which is you know a specialist craft it's uh, you do I mean, it being really funny well <laughs> is, being funny isn't easy like there's so many people that want to be fuck it up like mm. it's a useful tool but it's a useful tool because you can do it in the first place yeah you're absolutely right because um the thing is with um with me and comedy and being funny um it is it is basically just an hours game because i've I don't, I don't know if it counts as practice in that I have watched so many hours of comedy from sitcoms to stand-up mm-hmm. and just different ways in which people have been funny. And I do model a lot of my attempts to be funny on comedians, but especially, but as a poet though, um, I've definitely started to come more into my own and just sort of see how I'm see what I can do that's my own thing that's mm. that works and then <clears throat> also there are two things that I would say have been like the most instrumental in like practicing because like you got to practice funny like you need yeah. to practice comedy mm. to get better at it mm. is um there's like a level of owning your own awkwardness which I still mm. like I'm learning to do which is, and you'll you'll see this a lot in open mics where someone will kind of get lost in their preamble and then they immediately resort to self-deprecation to sort of be funny and um, avoid, like, and sort of like to almost help themselves. And mm-hmm. the one thing I've learned is just, like, own your awkwardness. Embrace your <laughs> awkwardness. Don't even apologize. Like, mm. you said orgasm instead of organism. Just don't don't say sorry. Just be like, so what? You know what I said. <laughs> I said it. You and, just don't want to give yeah, an organism thing... when you meant to give an orgasm. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and, what was the other thing? Um, uh, the, the other thing is um, just also like knowing your audience and like seeing like observing the reactions like um like for instance there are some poems which i know would get like certain audience was would find hilarious and others would be like get the fuck off the stage (laughs) right now and you can only like learn that with um like experience and going to lots of open mics because between like 
the between like October 2017, which is when I went to um, Spoken Word London for the first time as an open micer, and mm. um, like summer 2019, which is when I got my first like uh, I did my first like round of paid features. Mm. I was going to open mics like three to four times a week. Yeah throughout that whole time and it's just like you just get better at it as you keep doing it and you mm. just learn how to view your audience and that's that's like there may be other ways and maybe one day i'll like write a book on like how to be funny but so far those are the main things just mm. own your awkwardness and know your audience yeah uh, do you have any comedians that you kind of would point to as being your comedic influence then donald glover because he has basically been the perfect example of you can be weird, you can be nerdy, you can be awkward, and you can make something which is still incredibly refined and deep. Because mm. mm. I wouldn't have really tried to like pursue blending funny and deep poems until I watched his show Atlanta, which blends it so perfectly. Mm. Mm. Um, but then there's also... Reggie Watts, who is just the greatest like musical comedian, because everything he does is just, it's like it. Just just watch his TED talk, okay? If any like anyone doing anything, just watch Reggie Watts's TED <laughs> talk, and then you will understand what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd say them, those two are like the biggest ones concurrently. And then there's also you know um, the other stand-up comics like Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. And Bernie Mac, just all the other comedians, or Tiffany Haddish, um, mm. Kevin Hart, just people who have just done, just done stand up that is funny, and they are the ones who made me realize that owning your own awkwardness is a really special thing because your awkwardness is what makes you you. It's like you <laughs> vulnerable, and once you're able to do that, people connect with it. Great comedians are always themselves mm. and they will never stop mm -hmm. being who they are. Sometimes you end up finding that who they really are is a piece of shit, but you know, that's just part of that's just that's just part of it. You know, you mm. can't ignore that they were a piece of shit. You just have to be like, yeah, you're a piece of shit and move on. <laughs> did did you always go in with the plan of being a a funny poet? Did you find you kind of had to find yourself moderating or changing to fit? in a performance poetry space sort of how how do those two worlds collide for you um so i always i i did when i got into poetry i did do it with the express intention of like being a funny poet i even said to myself i will not um perform anything serious but then um over time basically i learned two things one um, when the seriousness like is there, like you can't ignore it just because of some mm. promise, some arbitrary promise you made yourself. Mm. So yeah. then I had to just, I just had to let it, let it happen. I would definitely say it's easier to start funny and then become serious than it would be to start serious and become funny. Mm. Um, mm. Like I'm not saying it's impossible, but like it was very, it was a very easy transition because especially once I got used to being funny and then I actually yeah. did drop that one serious one and people were mm. like, oh shit, like you actually can write and be taken seriously. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I just didn't want to. I definitely heard you do more serious poetry, you know, and been blown away by it. Oh, thank you. I do appreciate <laughs> that. 
I think it's definitely a strain of uh, poets who start out funny and then sort of, as you say, maybe at least try something more serious and maybe it doesn't work and maybe it does work and you realize something more about yourself as a writer. It's, it's, I'm sure you found when you started doing more serious work and people liked it, it's shocking and also a really nice affirming thing. It is really because um, what ends up happening when you, when you make that change is that, because um, I remember talking about that with um, Tig Madison, and mm-hmm. I said that the one thing that actually made that change happen and made me comfortable with it and made me feel more like a poet when I did yeah. that was the fact that you then realized that you care about what you do. Mm. And mm. I was actually starting to take poetry both as an art form and as a mm. form of expression seriously. And before then, mm. I was just like, it was just a hobby for me. It was just something I did so that I could de-stress from work and not throttle my boss. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, and, yeah. But then I can't, but then doing poetry and becoming a poet, you realize that when there is so much like raw, honest emotion being performed at you all of these mm. nights, eventually like you're like the bits that the bits of you that you want to keep hidden that you have Mm. kept to yourself that you think are safe within they're just going to want to come out because they're like hey they're sharing why the fuck can't we and you're like fine let's let's give it a go there's definitely a i think strain of i'm gonna say male poets because i think it is male poets who start out with the funny poem usually about food and i'm gonna put myself in that category <laughs> as well um, uh, particular purple root vegetables yeah because because yeah. they're kind of i don't know like you kind of you enjoy the um getting the, the positive feedback of laughter um and you kind of don't really know how else to to do poetry at that point i think that's how i did too oh. for sure and i think also i don't know like it's it's a lot easier to know that you're doing well yeah, um, when, when you're getting you a get reaction. Oh, yeah. feedback during the poet. Right. Whereas, yeah, if it's more serious, you kind of have to wait to the end and kind of gauge totally. what the claps are like rather than yeah. like, yeah, throughout it, getting that feedback loop. Yeah, I'd also say that um, this is this is like an insight into just like how much stage fright I actually have. Like, it doesn't matter how confident I seem on stage, I'm breaking it because... I know that if I like have a funny line and I'm like, this is the joke line and people don't laugh, mm. I fucked up. Yeah. And it, yeah. Every time, yeah. every time it's, it is terrifying. And I almost said like as a challenge to myself, and that was mm. one of the things that kept me from wanting to be serious was that if I am serious, I felt like no matter what, um, like people i would still you would still get good feedback or honest feedback or like some kind of positive feedback with a mm. serious poem if you tried to be funny and you weren't funny like yeah that was it that was just it yeah. and yeah and yeah, yeah that that kind of has always kept me on my toes mm. i once had a comedian friend of mine turn up to a mixed bill that i was on he was like no no you were good you were good but the other people right the problem with poetry is if you shit you might never find out. <laughs> and I could have bludgeoned him to death <laughs> at the time. 
but I think there probably is some of that in there. Because, like, there is that element of, like, fear of pigeonholing, because I remember even saying, because I wanted my poetry to be fun and funny, mm. is that I said to myself, I will never write about race. And, like, mm. I actively avoided doing it for the first year or so that I was a poet, okay. because I was like, I don't, I don't want to even think about seriousness. But then, eventually, all of them, um, even though, like, people were saying that I was a good poet, there would be all of these opportunities and they'd be like, okay, send us your stuff. And I'm like, I can't send them the one about um, like the one about like having like orgies during world war three. I can't <laughs> send them the one about, you know, masturbating the on an airplane. One. And then the, I can't send them the poo one. Like you're not the first black poet I've heard who sort of spent a while trying to avoid. Writing about tra- rights. Right. But like, I've 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 heard other reasons why not, such as uh, feeling like they hadn't had enough negative experiences to be qualified, or not wanting to be pigeonholed as the black poet, or but like, is yeah, I've not heard it as a can't take up these opportunities without, and I think that's a real lack of like those opportunities that exist should be willing to hear you whatever the fuck you're writing about. I feel like yeah. that that, that is a is, fuck uh, up on behalf of whoever's doing the funding or the opportunities, like surely. Oh no, what oh no, it isn't specifically about um like poetry as a like poetry about race, but like that mm. wound up being one of the many subjects because um because talking about anything serious, th- there would be like all of these poets doing like serious shit and I'm there like dicks, 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 <laughs> dicks, dicks. And that that was never like, I knew that I, not only could I not really take myself seriously as a poet, that then also made me not want to go in for these opportunities. But my main reason for not wanting to do poems about race was because I wanted to be, like, basically, with a lot of my experiences within the open mic circuit, because um, poems about race were so common among um, the other black poets, I, I got worried that, like, it wound up being seen as like the one thing that black poets are known best for talking about race. Mm. And that, and that is something that I've always worried about. And like, I still worry about it sometimes Mm. where for me, the idea of actually having a truly racially um, just poetry scene is one where black Mm. poets don't feel like they have to talk about Mm. race But then I realized, and the one thing that makes me so comfortable writing about it is that it's not that black people feel like they have to, it's that we want to because it's important. Mm -hmm. And that, and having that change of perspective was instrumental in like making my serious poems better Mm -hmm. because then I Mm -hmm. could actually talk from a place of honesty. Mm, That's really interesting. I like how, you know, I I feel like as a poet now nowadays and probably beforehand as well you you have done what I think really good comedy does which is use comedy to make a serious point uh, that that for me is what the best comedy does and your poetry does that by blending the two together you know it's not like and now here's my serious poem and now here's my funny poem like it goes mm-hmm. together yeah and that is the 
And I always felt like it's it's way better when you can do that. I can't remember like whose poem I first heard when I was like, oh shit, you can actually blend funny and serious. And that has allowed me to be like, okay, when they said that there aren't any rules in poetry, you can literally write whatever you want and it will be great. I think it might have actually been something that Tyrone Lewis wrote. Um, so in your kind of life away from poetry, you're a teacher. And I was just wondering, does how does your work as a performance poet influence that and vice versa? Do they interact at all? Oh, yeah. Um, I have absolutely no fear of public speaking whatsoever. And um, even when, for example, I start to ramble or uh, I st- stammer a lot, I I don't worry about it as much as I used to. I'm just there like, yes, you will hear me stammer. Okay, I may even take a pause to drink some water, deal with it. Um, and that is that is basically like the main way it has impacted how I work. Um, <clears throat> and when I was working in mainstream schools and supporting kids during their English lessons, I did try using poetry um, to to help them with their English and to understand certain things. But the problem is, like the curriculum sucks like the curriculum just sucks and it makes like trying to like implement poetry it's just so it's just so like ham-fisted by trying to Mm. do it and you'll either end up seeming really out of touch or or if you do or you'll try to do something that the kids like where you do that really stereotypical thing of the english teacher who tries to incorporate rap music and to help teach the kids poetry and sometimes that works you know if you're christian foley and you're able to do that shit well if you're me however it's just like steve buscemi with a fucking skateboard being like <laughs> how you doing fellow kids and <laughs> and yeah I've, I've i've had to um just tell myself don't try what doesn't work like don't try things that you're not sure about like do what works and ultimately my main thing is getting these kids to learn and to at least enjoy it. So when when I can put poetry in, great. If it's if it's even in the slightest bit like, oh, this seems a bit forced, I don't bother. Yeah. My partner is a teacher and last week was having to do a lesson to the kids on Kubla Khan. Have you guys oh, read God. that poem? Yeah. yeah. Like that is a fucking hard poem if you're an adult to begin to get your head around it's i was off my tits on opium and yeah i was high as a fucking kite you should make sense of this yeah an unfinished <laughs> opium fever dream yeah exactly and can you imagine like it's hard enough as an adult to vaguely understand Kubla Khan as a child who doesn't even know what opium is i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> would you yep. start yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and you get this weird whitewashing sometimes as well. Like we had to his coy mistress with a line about his oh, vegetable God. love should grow, and they insisted it was like a pumpkin, like a pregnant belly. And someone else was like, "Well, someone in my class figured it out immediately." I was like, "Name a vegetable: carrot. Name a vegetable: cucumber. Name a ve- name a vegetable: courgette. Miss, it's phallic." And the <laughs> teacher was desperately <laughs> trying to insist that it wasn't. And I don't know how that's going to help our learning to like. I don't know, try and make everything PG-13. Like, <laughs> Also, like, don't teach those those poets, don't teach the metaphysicals if you don't want to talk about sex because literally they're about God and sex. 
and that's kind of about it like i to this day like so um i think is it andrew marvel no it's uh one of the others i've forgotten his name one of the other metaphysicals has a poem it's to his mistress going to bed and he talks yeah. about her hairy diadem <laughs> now I've never heard the word diadem before. and then of course the next place I heard it was the Harry Potter books <laughs> and when I kept talking about Rowena Ravenclaw's diadem I was like is that her foof? What is a diadem? So, it's, a, it's a tiara like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crown but obviously he's talking about her, her crown below I guess it's somewhat it's somewhat ruined my uh, <laughs> Harry Potter books. Um, yeah, they're all about sex. Like, yeah, we've got sidetracked. I think <laughs> bad teaching of poetry. We have opinions. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, and I do think it's been interesting. Like, I was thinking about it when you were talking about kind of uh, watching comedy to learn from it, and it's not necessarily learning the technical stuff, but just watching it to learn. That you know, one of the things I think everyone's been talking about a lot recently has been sort of stuff like fronted adverbials because uh. a bunch of people are having to homeschool their kids and are like, I don't know what that means, no. and I write for a living. What is that? Um, and just uh, yeah, that this this um, emphasis on knowing the very technical yeah. terms for things. In the, in the idea that it'll make you a better writer as though knowing kind of, I don't know, the fucking chemical symbols for the metals that you used in the carburetor of your car is going to make you a better driver. It's not, like, it's probably useful, mm. but it's not going to make you a better driver. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. That's exactly it. Because um, <clears throat> what, what ends up becoming really important with learning and ultimately the way that people learn is, do you enjoy the thing that you are, like, learning about? No. Don't learn about it. It's not for you. Mm-hmm. Like, leave it. Or find a different teacher mm-hmm. who can teach it in a way that will actually make it interesting. Can't do that? Then maybe it's not for you. And that's not a bad thing because maybe you're into other things. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those things where you cannot force yourself to try and learn in a way that doesn't suit you. And the way we learn poetry is... Like there, there is not enough learning poetry just to enjoy yeah. it, and that is the biggest failure of learning about poetry in the school curriculum. Mm. Because the the only moment I actually started to care was um, when I was GCSE English, and it was just one poem by Chinua Achebe, and like that one poem i was hooked on it i was actually like wow this is this is good shit <laughs> every other poem in the entire anthology that i did for the whole two years of gcse english did not give a fuck mm-hmm. yeah what did you go when when did you guys realize that you liked that you liked poetry that ah. you read you read a poem that you were like oh i'm in, i'm into this like jamal's example was great like i think I was lucky that I was raised with things like Michael Rosen's The Hypnotizer. Um, so I think they're all like poetry anthologies for kids. Um, so there were bits and pieces I liked that weren't too scary. I think yeah. definitely the way it gets taught in secondary school is have you cracked this code? Yes, no. Yeah. And it's absolutely mm-hmm. shit. And I actually remember doing A levels? No, it must have been before. I remember who my teacher was. So it was pre A levels, maybe GCSEs where a poem turned up and I remember thinking at this point I was already a prolific scribbler in my room whether or not I saw that as like 
Oh yeah, no, I thought that was I thought I was writing absolute works of genius. So yeah, shut up, shut up, Laurie. What was the line? <laughs> no, not going my there. My pain is exquisite. So she'll be my art. Was yeah. that it? I shared that once <laughs> at a comedy night, and Laurie will never let me forgive forget it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was I was already writing lots of shit just for therapy, frankly. But what I hadn't, I remember distinctly this one poem turning up, which I really liked in GCSEs and I remember thinking oh shit I like this one they're still gonna make me do all the analysis shit until I don't like it um oh yeah and that that was weird the like oh shit I've this thing I enjoy is gonna be ruined um yeah I think for me similar we had kids anthologies around as kids and my mum for some reason would always recite to me and my brother um Robert Louis Stevenson's from a railway carriage, you know, okay. faster than fairies, faster than witches, bridges and houses, hedges and ditches, flying along like troops in a battle. Oh, it's great. It gets faster and faster and faster. And it's supposed, it's like the rhythm of a railway train. Kind of thing. Um, cool. and, yeah. And that was just like, and so there was that sort of poetry and there were kind of, you know, yeah, we would sort of mess around with poetry and read that sort of thing. And there was a total disconnect between that sort of thing mm. And what we were learning at school and, and, you know, when I was a bit older, yeah. And I was, I was scribbling poetry in my teens as well, mm. but again, didn't relate it really to what I was reading or what I was studying at school. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's why I went off on one about the metaphysicals because I did those for A level. And I just remember thinking, I, I don't care and I don't like this and I don't understand it. Mm. And I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Whereas we also <clears throat> did Grace Nichols. Yeah. Um, from her collection, I is a long memoried woman. Mm. And that is so different and so kind of powerful and evocative and interesting. And I was like, yeah, this, this is good shit. So I think for me, it was probably Grace Nichols. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, my partner has been had, uh, do, doing the, like the, some of the syllabus stuff. And I think like John Agard's half cast is still on there, which was on there when. Oh God. Yeah. I yeah. Wow. I was, that was when I was. Yeah. Doing and like, and it's interesting doing that one because, because, I quite like it. I really like John Agard as a as a writer. Um, but how do you explain to children now, like half cast as a word isn't really a term that people use now. Like, mm-hmm. um, man, I learned in- racial slurs while doing A level English. Yeah, like, we had to you know, study the rivers of blood speech for some fucking God, reason, what? and we had to have Jesus. we had to have this your school. Ex- a comprehensive in North London that should know better, fuck knows. And we learnt all these kinds of slurs to point out the what? racism. <laughs> it was like, awful. Right. Um, <sighs> but like teaching kids about this poem that obviously is, you know, a, a positive, a good kind of challenging stereotype poems that include that is based around a term that is kind of not really how kids speak now yeah. is really odd. Like, you know, I'm sure they still use awful language, but like not that specific and that's odd. So you've got to go back to teach them. You know, it's strange. Um, I think from that, from that, you kind of have to, that's a moment when as a teacher, you kind of need to learn from your students, because when it comes to these things, you kind of need, you need at least two lessons worth and this is also another problem like as a teacher you never have enough time there's just everything needs to be done yesterday and you're not going to get half of the shit you need until tomorrow mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is that in order to like have a discussion on because basically 
you know, John Agard's poem is about colorism. And a lot of kids will have experienced, like, the concept of mm. colorism mm. and would be able to, like, see it if they saw an example. Yeah. But because the language that we use nowadays is different, the way in which they exhibit this discrimination is different, mm. you kind of need... Um, you kind of need to like be aware of that or like willing to research yeah. that. The only way you can do that is by allowing students to almost have an open forum to discuss the thing. But that involves that's that's hard. Like mm. that is really hard to do and maintain. And as we just talked about, you know, there's plenty of poems pertaining to the same subject that have happened in the 20 years since we did our GCSEs. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is like the because you know the curriculum is directed basically by exam boards. Mm-hmm. The exam boards are out of fucking touch, mm-hmm. and they um, and it just gets. I don't want to say it gets worse. It's just the fact that they like they don't actually have people who are like in the thing that they are creating questions for, mm-hmm. and because like to write a, an essay about a poem. Like, even just the concept of that, it has to be about something that you really like. And if it can't be, then your essay... Like, your essay isn't going to be convincing. It's just going to be, like, a copy and paste of all the different phrases that your teacher told you to put Mm -hmm. in in order to get nine. So, yeah. But, yeah, because of that, um, I'd say that one thing which is, like, always good is just have um, having English teachers just introduce poems that aren't on the curriculum and just be like we're gonna do this i know that this is probably gonna like make us be a bit behind but fuck aqa Mm. and i think also in the same way that um when i was first really getting into poetry and like obviously it's got a bad rep with a lot of people um everyone thinks it's incomprehensible or teenage shit um i remember trying my pain is exquisite shut up laurie (laughs) um i I remember trying to explain like all right what music do you listen to yeah how closely does that resemble your gcse music yeah there is that same breadth out there and i think like the more media to to tie it back to like the inauguration for example the more Mm inroads you have to hear good poetry in a non you will be graded on your response kind of a setting i think mm. that can only be a mm. good thing like yeah yeah that yeah. you listen to it for enjoyment or that it is there to mark the occasion weddings funerals like all oh, there's yeah. there's there's a lot of times that people sort of draw back to poet like a poem seems to be the right thing and i think the more mm. ways you have of finding poems outside of those sort of set parameters the better yeah for mm-hmm. for me going back to the question of like your sort of first poetry kind of excitement or jolt of excitement was when my english teacher um said that she, that she thought stand by eminem was the best poem she'd uh <gasps> heard oh, wow. in ages and just being like in my english class just what I'm allowed to think of of rap as as poetry. I'm allowed to th- you know to break those set parameters of what is and isn't poetry. Was just blew my little ten year old mind. Like <laughs> it didn't know what to what to do with that. You know. Yeah. 
And I mean, thinking a bit about how kind of poetry, uh, you know, appears in in sort of the rest of life apart from education, uh, that kind of leads us nicely into Jamal. You've been on Life and Rhymes, so so mm. appearing on Sky Arts mm. on TV and with Benjamin yes. Zephaniah. Like, how was that appearing on the show? I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Um, I remember like getting there because you had to get there. The first time we were doing it, because I was on two episodes, okay, um, <clears throat> and I was—I think I was the only poet to be on two episodes, um, and Ooh. and basically I went on like the the first episode, which well the first like recording was actually for the third episode, mm-hmm. so episode three was actually the one that was recorded first, okay. and I got there the. The day before, so that they could prepare, because it was all new to them. They were just trying to figure out how to do everything while social distancing as well. Um, I remember getting to the bandstand and just staring at Benjamin Zephaniah (laughs) for like 15 minutes straight, just being like, I know that if he sees me, he probably has seen me. All this staring I'm doing is weird (laughs) and creepy. But like when I actually got to talk to him, he was like, this happens like it's cool. <laughs> and he was really chill about it and um and yeah it just felt like and then once i felt like that level of calm mm. and like this is just this is just like what we do as poets then it it just felt like you know another open mic or another feature gig and then i was my my old self again mm. but yeah it does when when you are making your TV debut, like there is just this massive feeling of vindication, mm. which is mm. it's terrifying because <laughs> then you're like, oh shit, I need to take myself. I now really need to take myself seriously. <laughs> so did you do the one about poo, or did you want to do the one about your dick? Because I haven't seen the episode. <laughs> uh, so the first poem I did was the "I'm so straight" poem. Oh, great poem! Yay. Yeah, yeah, that um. And that one, that went as well as it always does. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm gonna say it. I will say it. Dead Darlings will be the first place I say it. I am really bored of that poem because I've performed <laughs> it so many times. Fair play. Fair play. Yeah. It and I was like, people love it, and I'm like, and I'm just like, please don't make me do it. Again. <laughs> yeah. But, but even if some, but the thing is, even if one person asks, I'll be like, sure, okay. Um, that's the so, thing, funny, per- funny poet pigeonholing. You get so <laughs> sick of the, the one poem that everyone always wants, right? right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I have definitely heard you mix up that poem and sort of stick extra lines in from time to time. Just It'll make it interesting. It does, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the thing is, the best part about that is because um, I will always end up hearing or seeing someone say something in mm-hmm. which they're trying to like just broadcast their straightness and it just cracks me <laughs> and i'm like well that now has to go in the poem <laughs> like, um and the second one i did um was uh, i've now titled it let me tell you a bit about myself but it's the one where i talk about sleeping with all the white men in the world so i can ruin their <laughs> orgasms and whisper reputation that that is <laughs> like that, that great punch that's a line everyone yeah, remembers yeah <laughs> it's so fucking good yep that one I don't think I'll get tired of doing because <laughs> I love performing it. <laughs> and in my Life and Rhymes rendition of it, um, 
because the first part is me talking about going to a tanning salon <laughs> and then I use a lot of orange-based imagery. I juggled oranges whilst I was performing oh, it. Wow. And the art department the, the art department was so lovely because I genuinely thought when I was emailing them and they were like, Oh yeah, is there anything that you want or need um for this for this performance? And I was like, I can you get me some oranges? And I was like and I was just genuinely expecting them to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> this is a serious shit. Do you something. have any idea how... <laughs> Not a rider. Like, I was... This isn't a rider, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and I was ready to like just get chewed out for it. But then I get there on the day we're filming. And then the art, the art department has got like a whole bowl of oranges. So they're like, yeah, these are ones you can use to practice. And then you'll still be able to have some like oranges that aren't pulverized by you dropping them. (laughs) Nice. And, but I spent the whole day like practicing and rehearsing Mm. because I was like, I am not going Mm. to drop this in front of, in front of everyone. Because even though they were like, yeah, if you drop it, like you can just pick it up and like resume. But like, I was like, no, no. And I was, and I'm and I don't care like what I experience later on in life. My proudest moment will be performing that poem and in one mm. take. Nice. <laughs> nothing. Nothing else. I can get married. I can have my children. I'm like, no, 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 no. This juggling. <laughs> on TV in one take. Yeah. <laughs> While doing a poem, and since we can't top that, maybe that is the yeah. point to wrap up the interview. <laughs> is there anything you want to plug, Jamal? Um, yes, there is. So I am writing and performing in a theatre production called The Girl Who Fell Through the World um, soon-ish. Um, and it's basically a coming-of-age story about a 10-year-old girl called Ola who wants to grow up and be an adult and go on an adventure like the characters in the books she reads but understandably, because she's 10, her parents won't let her. And then she goes on a page master-esque adventure after finding a magical book. Mm. Awesome. Amazing. And where can people find out more about you? Um, you can find more about me on Instagram um, at Kid Anansi, K-I-D-A-N-A-N-S-I. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me now it's time for our book of the month this month it's my darling from the lions by rachel long chosen by laurie laurie why did you choose this book i chose the book because i had heard of rachel long for quite a long time um but i didn't really know her work uh and i also attended a workshop run by her um i think last month or the month before and it was really interesting um i liked learning about how she went about doing different exercises. So I wanted to check out the book. Um, I read it a couple of months ago and really enjoyed it. And I thought it was one of those book poetry books where you read it and think, oh, that's good. But then you want to kind of go back mm. or I did and kind of get a mm. second bite of the apple on it. So uh, that's why I thought we'd do it this month. Um, I thought it personally, I think it's a really well constructed book i think the poems really play off each other well and the sections in it work really well um so yeah i i also think it's probably the only book i've bought in an actual physical bookshop in the last year (laughs) um yeah bought briefly while we were 
temporarily allowed back in bookshops. Um, but yeah, I thought it's, I think it's a really, I love how precise it feels as a book without feeling mm-hmm. cold. I always feel like it's got a nice hit of personality that runs all the way through it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What did you guys think? I think it's really interesting. You said you wanted to read it again, because that is my that that is my kind of response to it is I sort of have read this for the podcast and I'm like mm, yeah I need another go round I think yeah because um, I did really enjoy it but I'm like I feel like I'm gonna get a lot more the second time round big time and I I Rachel Long is a name that I've heard a lot and I think I accidentally found one of her writing shops like when I was on a lunch break okay. in a tube station and I spotted AJ there um, Antonio Jade King at mm. this thing and I was like hello what's this this is a re- wait wait I can get 20 minutes in and she I for the tiny bit of the workshop that I saw she was absolutely awesome um mm. I yeah she's a name that I've heard a lot and recommended a lot by people whose opinions I really rate and mm. I hadn't really read her stuff before I was surprised I don't know how to phrase it I was surprised how hard I felt like she was making me work okay <laughs> like it's I think it treads that weird I think it's it's this collection at least I think is more more page than stage and yeah. I think it definitely is written to sort of reward multiple readings and yeah uh really sitting with some of the pieces um at the same time obviously she's young she's contemporary and she I think work, works in both worlds um mm. There's a lot of really kind of sharp, vivid images and storytelling going on, even though it is probably a little bit more pagey. Mm, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like often one of the distinctions people make is that sort of stage stuff tends to prioritise sort of narrative yeah. over page. Whereas this, there's definitely a narrative to all the poems, but they are still quite kind of, yeah, they do repay kind of multiple readings, I think. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's a series of poems called Open, and I think then there's a slightly different one throughout, Um which is, oh God, it's like five lines long um, about different people telling her that she sleeps with, what position she sleeps in. um, And and the meaning of that, like each poem is called open and then I think they're called something else later. Um, So the first one goes, this morning he told me I sleep with my mouth open and my hands in my hair. I say, what, like screaming? He says, no, like abandon. And then it, it kind of, it, that gets complicated. It riffs on that throughout with multiple poems with the same name. And then I think sleeps in a different way. And then I think the title changes. It kind of feels a bit like the idea of sort of not waving, but drowning. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Kind of... Yeah. There's a, there's clearly a lot folded in. And I like Rebecca, I've, I've read it for this and I feel like I probably need to go back and unpack mm. a lot of it. Um, the the I tend to fold o- fold over little corners for bits that I want to talk about particularly, and I realised that the two of them that I wanted to were both about um, uh, having her hair done as a mm. black or mixed race woman. Um, one of them is called Jail Letter, um, about feeling sort of trapped by her mum doing her hair, which is this long involved process that takes a long time. And then mm. at the end, her mum says, "Look, you look beautiful as Winnie Mandela." And I don't know who Winnie Mandela is. But, but it doesn't uh, La- sound like someone Ben Clark will fancy. Yeah, 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 which I, yeah, yeah. There's there's so much in that, and then that there's another one um, called Communion about having a hair done in a hair shop, and that mm. this is how like the most, the most black she feels as a mixed race kid, um, 
And then at the very end, one of the people says, as she sort of gives them a tip, like that that white people always have money or something, and that this there's this that it's kind of about yeah this this very this feeling of this theme of identity clashing <laughs> one way or the yeah. other. And like who is inside and who is outside. Because it's a bit like earlier on, she's kind of almost talking to the reader as like ever sat for 13 hours in the same chair and then uh, scouts life so many times you can't recall if you are girl or railroad. And that kind of feels very challenging and very kind of like, yeah, you probably haven't. You probably don't know what this is like. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm in this club i've been i'm on the inside here and then by the end of the poem like you said there's this kind of moment of like mm, you don't quite fit in here yeah really yeah the the there's there's a, a few poems like that where like the 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 oh god what am i trying to say there's a lot going on there's a lot of themes folded in and i think it will really benefit from multiple readings which i don't yet have mm. um there were a few where i that absolutely went over my head and again i i so many people who i rate really rate rachel long i kind of want to go through them again in more yeah have have a second go through the ones that i kind of really just sort of sucked my breath in is um the sort of uh, towards the end of it there's interview with b yeah two mm-hmm. and it's a woman describing her partner assaulting somebody else yeah um and the partner is called kenny the guy the other guy is called steve and there's kind of it's implied that he's black and then the next one Mm. is called steve and it's about her playing with her dolls and her mum bought her a black male kind of barbie doll yeah and that she would get barbie who is obviously b and ken to beat him up yeah and sort of all the kind of really horrific things that says about identity and about about accepting her own identity and that kind of thing and it yeah it is so just like like putting a twist between two poems is really yeah yeah i went back and read and read the interview with b Mm. immediately again afterwards there was some line about taking off a velcro dress that suddenly yeah you realize what the poem is actually yeah saying in a literal sense yeah yeah because all the bits that i bumped on was like they're at a beach house are they are they on holiday like they keep moving the locations keep changing weirdly and blah and like yeah then you're like oh of course they're playing with dolls of course yeah i mean the whole the third section of the book is called dolls uh, but it takes you until yeah you read dolls on one page then you read the in the one interview with b and then it's only by the time you kind of have finished the third, the, the second poem in the section, Steve, that you kind of get, oh, right, this is what this part yeah. of the book is doing. Um, you kind of do have to go back and reread it. Yeah, yeah. and I sort of think I, I would be surprised if there aren't more of that that I've missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing. I kind of want to go back and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, like there's a poem in the middle section about um, about, it's called The Cow and the Moon. Um, and it seems to be like mm. a very sort of uh, quite literal kind of description of a cow being led to slaughter. And it's only when you get to the last two lines that they are reflecting a poem that's a few poems earlier about her mum. So there's kind of all these little twists and turns that make you want to go sort of forward and back while reading it rather than mm. um, necessarily linearly from the front to the end. Um, I I think on repeated reading, I love how the poems play off each other in those kind of ways. 
Mm. Like with you, the interview with B, you read it and it's like this harrowing account. And then you read the next poem and you realize, oh, wait, that previous poem is just about Barbie dolls. Yeah. But there's also, <laughs> there's an Aunt B in there as well. So that was kind of, yeah, there's there's a lot of layers. Mm. And, yeah, you know, there are. Or characters like Tiff comes up as a character mm. throughout it. And mm. then he's thanked, I noticed, in the acknowledgements at the back. Yeah. Uh, which I rather loved. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's one of those ones... I feel like where it felt like a lot of thought had gone into forming it as a collection. Yeah, big time. And I appreciated that. I thought it was really good. <laughs> yeah, I really loved it. I loved the, um, that some of the themes are quite dark, that you do mm. seem to have things that hint at child abuse or kind of bits that outright describe rape. Yeah. And is all not necessarily treated with the same tone as everything else but yeah it just it feels like these poems sit very well and don't feel out of place alongside sort of lots of other things it it all just feels like it is weaving together very Mm. successfully i think brilliant so yeah anything else we want to say about it i really like it i think it's cool excellent i feel like i need to read it the second time and i haven't yet and Mm. it's a really solid collection um i feel like a straight yeah I liked it. it doesn't yeah. quite work. Doesn't quite uh, convey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. Um, brilliant. So this is uh, it's available from Picador Poetry, and it's uh, "My Darling from the Lions" by Rachel Long. Now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight ten or so opportunities to look out for, where you can perform your work or submit it for publication, and also just some stuff that we think is cool. Rebecca, do you want to start? Yeah, go for it. Um, So uh, Verve Poetry Press, which we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, will open in March for submissions for full collections to be published in uh, 2022 and 23, uh, which feels like so far ahead into the future. But yeah. Um, So uh, for more info, visit uh, www.vervepoetrypress.com and look under submissions. yeah they're a really cool little press that does amazing stuff and uh yeah they're looking for full collections so go for that then uh manchester based uh manchester based night word central is taking place on thursday the 4th of february at 7 30 p.m uh obviously it's taking place virtually these days uh so it's got an open mic with special guest elizabeth mcgeown uh who is yay a lovely northern irish writer that is one of our favorites and um yeah you can book a slot for that by emailing mail at flapjackpress.com co.uk and just have a search for word central on facebook for that and uh, on the same night we've got a cla- uh, clash klaxon again um uh, so for february the 4th we've got a lovely word featuring sam grudgings who is a bristol-based poet who's who's really great really really fun poet um and uh, he's got a 20 minute headline slot then there'll be a q a and then there's open mic so if you search for a lovely word on facebook that'll come up as well and I'm going to do a quick plug for Allographic, which is, um, as I said, uh, sessions run by Faye Roberts. Sometimes there are um, sort of a, a more structured workshop. I think once a month or so they do a more structured workshop and have um, a guest poet uh, performing and doing running the workshop. But then every other Sunday, it's literally just um, it's just sitting in a Zoom call with a bunch of other writers getting shit done and getting work done. And I would thoroughly recommend that. <laughs> 
Hannah, what have you got for us? So, um, I'm intrigued by this first one on your list. Right. I spotted this. I was so stoked. And then I realized that I can't enter it. So if you you can, yeah. So there is a poet, there is a poetry competition called dead cat poems and you can find it at www.deadcatpoems.com. And it is a poetry competition explicitly for poems about dead cats and i have which a is your your mo really right very much a niche that you have uh, <laughs> i have a a i i think rather rather okay poem uh called necro kitty comic sans uh, which i was so stoked when i saw this i went this is for me i am delighted uh but apparently the poem can't have been previously published anywhere and mine oh. has so stuff it if you want to try and win their 25 pound first prize I'm not jealous. Why are you not <laughs> on the judging committee for this prize? <laughs> How many other people are writing poems about I dead cats? Is this Clearly this enough thing? people that it's worth setting <laughs> yeah. up an award for. Is it just you and T.S. Eliot? Right, like... I don't know. Yeah, so that's that's my number one. That's that's my kind of like little little interesting novel. <laughs> um, I can't sort of vouch for like anything about it i'm just not that i can't enter um i spotted a opportunity for any artists wanting to run a very short paid workshop um specifically this is like for people who are homeschooling their kids basically a five to 15 minute bite-sized workshop for children and families and they particularly want to hear from artists from diverse backgrounds. If they want you, uh, they will pay £150 per workshop, mm. which isn't to be sniffed at. Mm. Um, apply by midday, 8th of February. And that is if you go to the core, Corby, core as in Apple Core, Corby, C O R B Y dot com, uh, forward slash news, forward slash bite hyphen size hyphen call hyphen out. Nice. Um, yeah, um, but that looks like, yeah, a, a, a nice and really, yeah, niche, like, yeah, <laughs> short, sharp, paid. This next one is as much because I like the title as anything else, but the Prol Laureate Poetry Competition 2021 is open. Like, the Prol Poet Laureate is a is an awesome title. I reckon that's worth it. Um, they are open. Uh, they're pretty open about length, style, content. Um, but their main thing, because it's run by prolbooks.co.uk, uh, their main thing is they want it, like the stuff that they publish, to be engaging, accessible, challenging, and entertaining. Uh, must be previously unpublished, but other than that, length, style, content, all fine. Um, and the first prize is 300 quid. I'm not quite sure when that closes, but yeah, um, definitely within the month of uh, this, this episode going out. Um, another one I spotted is that the Poetry Archive is running something called Poetry Screen, where they are doing sort of video poetry mixes. Um, so if you, they want a video of a poem, <laughs> uh, which is either repurposing something from a selection of their stuff or riffing on something that already exists in their collection of recordings, and at least one of the entrants, like either the poet or the filmmaker, needs to be under 25 years old, 
or if you're a poet you can film your own thing or if you're a filmmaker you can do a poem like but yeah someone in that <laughs> someone in that has to be under 25 uh entries by the first of june you've got ages and uh there's there's prize money to be had um 200 quid prize for up to f- five projects will win that and then the overall winner will be given a budget of two grand to do it again but better or <laughs> to do some- <laughs> to do something else <laughs> On the same lines. So if you go to poetryarchive.org uh, forward slash poetry hyphen screen, you can find out more about that. Laurie, how about you? Before I do mine, I just want to point out that I've been on the website for the Dead Cat Poetry Prize mm. while Hannah was talking. And it says the Dead Cat Poetry Prize is an annual co- poetry competition dead e catted to the world's best poetry about felines that have shuffled up their nine mortal coils. <laughs> oh... God. Wow. <laughs> it sounds glorious. Um, <laughs> right. I'm going to plug a few gigs. On the 24th, um, Burning Eye Presents is back online. Um, they did a gig a couple of weeks ago, and they're doing another one uh, with Rick Dove, Cynthia Rodriguez, and Afshan D'Souza Lodhi, whose name I apologize, I'm probably butchering. That will be an interesting one too. On the 25th of Feb, uh, Boat Poets are doing a gig called Boats Poets Presents with uh, Raise the Bar, an evening of online poetry and spoken word with Crafty, Sally Katibi, Erin Bolands, and Toby Campion. And also a couple of other things. Um, Apples and Snakes are currently looking for uh, two young artists. And by young, they are defining that as 18 to 25 years old from anywhere across the country to join their board of trustees, which is quite cool. Um, And they're looking for, yeah, two young artists who are representative of the artists, audiences and communities that they work with. Um, The deadline is 5 p.m. on the 15th of February. Um, and also, Words Down, as we mentioned earlier, is back. It's been back for ages, but I've started going to it again, so I want to plug it. Um, <laughs> and that's every Tuesday at 7.30. Um, you can find out more info by looking for Words Down Writing Group on Facebook. Brilliant. Uh, so in a moment, we're going to have our live poem of the month to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? Yep, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Laurie Use Poet or on Twitter at Mr. Leaves. Mr. Leaves. My book, Biceps, is out on Burning Eye Books or in brick red cassette form on Buried Vinyl. You can pick up both versions from my website, laurieeves.com, and stream the audio version wherever you stream audio. Excellent. Um, the, the night that I run uh, every month, Insight, is oh, the next one is on the 17th of February. That's a lgbtq plus night uh respectful allies are extremely welcome in the audience but the open mic slots are just for us um and that the next one is on the 17th of february if you go to either forumplus.org.uk or uh, look for insight poetry on facebook you will find it um and it's lgbt history month so i have not yet booked a a act who reflects all of lgbt history but i am i'm having conversations and that's that's happening there. all of it yeah exactly right <laughs> it's it's one heck of a it is sappho available i think she would be good right have, have you heard of this oscar wilde fellow um yeah no, so yeah yeah we'll, we'll have someone damn good I've, i'm having some conversations but yeah yeah and and i am hannah chutzpah c-h-u-t-z-p-a-h on on all the platforms that I am on. Hello.
Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Rebecca K. Cooney, on my website, rebeccakcooney.wordpress.com. And uh, you can find me on Facebook at Rebecca Cooney-Poet. Um, another thing I'd like to plug this month, actually, is that uh, my very, very lovely husband is, uh, he edits <sighs> news for a living. Um, and he has basically been sending around kind of because he has to be online all the time sort of sending around good news stories and funny cat gifts and just little videos that are making people smile to friends and he's decided that actually he should be doing that more widely so he's started up a, a sort of daily newsletter so every weekday you get a newsletter with lots of positive stories that the algorithm of facebook and twitter don't necessarily let you find mm. uh, plus some pretty things to smile at like little cat kittens and things like that he says he doesn't want pets but he's very good at finding cat gifts so we'll <laughs> working on it mm-hmm. uh, but yeah if that you know it's, it's a it's a gloomy time at the moment if you're having to be plugged into sort of online there's a lot of a lot of bad news in the world so if you want some help finding the good news um this is the the newsletter for you uh if you're interested uh, go to www.getreview so g-e-t-r-e-v-u-e dot co slash profile slash every dash cloud uh to sign up um yeah. and the, the newsletter is called every cloud and that'll be every weekday. He's just starting that up. So I thought I'd give it a bit of a plug. See what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and then, uh, so if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod. Facebook is Dead Darlings Podcast. And you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. Our poem of the month was performed by Robert Garnham. Uh, before we share Robert's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to him for letting us showcase his work. Thank you to my co-hosts, Hannah and Laurie, to Jamal Hassan for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and as ever, to you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. It's been 40 years now since I last spoke to Thelma and Daphne I look in the mirror at a shock of white hair, a haunted, sallow face. I've become one of the ghouls that we used to to chase, except this is no mask. I'm not the janitor or the suspiciously accommodating professor. There's no one else lurking inside. I cannot hide. I wish I had died. I wish I was dead. My name is Fred. You can't go back. It's been years since I hung up my cravat. It's been years since my last Scooby snack. The things I'd seen from the mystery machine would turn a normal man green. And also green with envy. With Thelma and Daphne along in the car, our very own menage a trois. We'd done so much and come so far. Until that fateful day. Shaggy came along for the ride. All stubble and sweat and that stupid dog Scooby-Doo. More like Scooby-Don't. But he did. Velma, Velma, not now, not while I'm driving. Put away those handcuffs. And Daphne, what are you doing with that whipped cream? For God's sake, don't let the dog lick it off. You don't know where it's been. You know I'm tired after yesterday, running down that really long corridor, passing the same pot plant, the same door, 
the same pot plant, the same door, and then finding out that all five of us can fit into a filing cabinet drawer. I knew we should have given it up years ago. The time we unmasked a yeti as being the janitor and he said I would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you pesky middle-aged people. It all started to unwind. Like that Egyptian mummy last week who turned out to be another bloody janitor. It's always the bloody janitor. And Shaggy with his face like a sack of mouldy apples and breath as pungent as Taunton. I caught him masturbating over a photo of Hillary Clinton and I thought, something's not right here. Let's tackle a real mystery, like human suffering, or the origins of life itself, or why the logo for Universal Pictures is just of planet Earth. Because I was tired of it. Tired of a puerile existence, tired of shaggy farting all the time, tired of cold nights in an old van, tired of that stupid Great Dane with the weird speech impediment, which shaggy would never clean up after, tired of the slow pull away from that which kept us all together until the fatigue of it took over and I said to them all, I said, I don't know who I am anymore, I have no idea who I am, who am I, who am I and who are you, to which I heard in reply, <gasps> scooby dooby doo It all fell apart, like a cheap supermarket lasagna. Thelma and Daphne eloped. Scrappy turned up and it all went crappy. I left them at it. Last I heard, Scooby had married Whoopi Goldberg. She's now called Whoopi Doo.